0: Well, hello there, and welcome to the Bleachers. Hope you had a good Fourth of July. I'm glad you could join me today. This is the spot where I just sit and talk sports. So come on up, bring your favorite koozie. I'm Don Glenn. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers. you got to get it done. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. (laughs) This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers. With Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. Gentlemen, start your engine. Knocked out here at the snap. Romo looking, dumps it off right side. Intercepted! <laughs> Intercepted the <laughs> goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! Ruhol with a widespread stance. Arms out over the plate. Bigford from the stretch. The one-hunt A Okay, and there it goes! That field! Right back! stadium on September 23rd, 2022. Uh, th- playoffs? Don't we'll talk about it. Playoffs? you kidding me? Playoffs? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball! You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Holy cow! I'd like that. I'm really glad to stop by today. We have some NASCAR to go over, and I'll talk a little bit of USFL. We've got the All-Star Game lineups. And just how hot is John Mazaloc and Oliver Marmol's seats getting? All that coming up. Talking sports on the bleachers is a proud part of Gateway City Sports. And at gatewaycitysports.com. At Gateway City Sports, you're going to find articles and podcasts that cover sports in and around the St. Louis Bi-State area. Check it out at GatewayCitySports.com. All right, well, NASCAR held the first ever street race in Chicago with the running of the Grant Park 220 Sunday, July 2nd. It was a 2.2-mile course that they laid out through the streets of downtown, and and I don't expect you to know. You might be from Chicago to listen to this. I don't know, Uh, but... It kind of went up uh, a street called South Columbus there, and then it turned onto Lakeshore Drive, and then came back down, and then there was a little uh, uh, like a cul-de-sac type thing. It went through. It was a wild little course, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, they uh, they ran two races. They ran the Xfinity race as they usually do in, in NASCAR uh, on Saturday. It was called the Loop One Twenty One. Now, that was supposed to go 55 laps, but they postponed the race at lap 26 due to uh, a lot of rain. The rain just came in and just made the course very dangerous. Lightning was in the area, and they didn't want the fans to be hurt, so they they, uh, put the race on hold. They tried to do it Sunday morning. That didn't work because they woke up to three inches of rain. Um, Flooding was all over the course. Uh, They were trying to get it in, trying to get it in, and finally they decided if they were going to get the NASCAR race in, they would not not be able to run the uh, Xfinity race. Uh, There was some discussion running the Xfinity race on Monday, continuing it on Monday, but at 26 laps, they were almost halfway. They were like two and a half or a lap and a half, something like that, from being halfway so they decided that they would just go ahead and call the race then because they didn't want to, uh, which I thought was actually kind of, uh, it It made sense, but it was also kind of stupid. Um, they were talking about just doing it Monday to get the uh, amount of laps in to make it a legal race. And then call it at that point, which I think would have been stupid. If they're going to run the race on Monday, they would have, to me, run the rest of the other 29 uh, laps. But, uh, you know, but they I think they did the right thing. Because then you're t- talking tying up a work day of traffic in Chicago. Uh, and they already lost one. Uh, well, not maybe not a whole work day, but they lost part of a work day when they were setting up everything uh, on Friday for the Saturday race. So... Uh, you know, I think they made the right decision in just calling it at that point. Um, the uh, race finish was uh, Cole Custer was declared the winner with John Hunter Nemechek second, Justin Allgaier third, Brett Moffitt was fourth, and Austin Hill was declared the fifth place finisher. Now, like I said, the NASCAR race, it ended up being delayed. It was supposed to go off at 4 o'clock, didn't go off till 5 uh, Denny Hamlin had to pull. Tyler Reddick was right behind him because they, they ran the race in a single-file start instead of traditional uh, um, side-by-side start. Uh, and they ran all the restarts, all the restarts were single-file. Uh, so, uh, and let's see. Uh, Shane Van Gris, Gisbergen, who uh, made his Cup Series debut, was the uh, third place, uh, was started third in the field, ended up being the winner. And i uh, uh, Gizbergen or Van Gisbergen excuse me, uh, is a three time uh, supercar or V supercar v8 supercar champion that's what it is. Uh, and that's a race uh, a series that's run I think in New Zealand, Australia, that area. Um, the race did start out under very wet conditions As a matter of fact you saw you didn't see racing slicks on the um, the NASCAR cars you saw actual treaded tires. Uh, they they had to use those to get grip because you know normally in NASCAR uh, when you've got a dry track condition you have what they call the slicks uh, there's no tread it's just a, a just a slick or a, a, a flat rubber surface on the tire now that is because as that heats up it provides more grip on a racetrack at higher speeds well that only works if it can have the grip. Well, if you got a wet condition, it's not going to have the grip. So they had to go with something that, like you have, you and I have on our personal cars, a tire that's going to channel the water away from the tire and so keep more tire surface on the road. Uh, the slicks would just hydroplane, and you wouldn't get anything, and you'd have a lot of issues. Um, they so even, but even with those, they were kind of tiptoeing. I mean, you could see it. I watched the race, and you could see as they were going into, uh, even going down the straights. Um, now some of the streets were, you know, only granted a couple blocks long. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, even going down the straights, you were t- you could tell they were not really um, um, getting into the throttle, so to speak. I mean, they were kind of laying off, laying off. Till about 20 laps, then you saw, uh, well, actually a little earlier for Tyler Reddick, he uh, he uh, made a move. I think it was like lap three or four on uh, Denny Hamlin. And just just walked right around him, and then uh, to, to take the lead early in the race. Um, but like I said, most everybody else was just kind of walking around a little bit. Then when you start to see parts of the track dry up, then a few drivers here would go to slicks. Then a few drivers here when eventually all the all the um, guys were on slicks by I think right around lap 28, I think somewhere in there they were all. In, gone to uh gotten rid of the treaded tires for the slicks because on the treaded they weren't getting the grip and the speed on the dry part of the racetrack as opposed to what they were going to get with the slicks because there's more grip again when that tire heats up it gets a little sticky and it sticks to the track better as opposed to, to a treaded tire like you and i use so uh what was funny too is the the you know, most NASCAR tracks, of course, even, even like at Pocono and stuff like that, or Long Pond, I guess is the name of the course, the barriers are concrete or something like that. And they had concrete barriers, but they also had a lot of tire barriers set up around the course. Um it's a good thing they had some of those tire barriers there because uh, one corner especially, uh, uh, corner six, the turn six coming off of uh, South Columbus onto Balbo before they headed down to South Michigan. Uh, That corner, I mean, a lot of guys had trouble in that corner. A lot of guys uh, slipped and slid, and uh, four drivers actually went into that tire barrier. Uh, Two or three of them had to be pulled out. Uh, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, Chase Elliott uh, all made contact with that barrier. I think Busch and uh, Elliott had to be pulled out. And uh, Hog Gregerson, or Gregson, (laughs) man, that guy was the unluckiest sucker of, of, of the day. He hit that barrier four times. Twice had to be pulled out. Now, of course, every time they had to pull somebody out of that barrier, of course, they had a full-course caution. So, he, you know, there was some cautions for that. A couple of the other barriers took some hits, uh, but those safer barriers really came into play because just about every car that hit that safer barrier was able to just get back on the course and roll right along. So, uh, kudos to... Uh, uh, NASCAR for putting up those barriers on, on, in that in that respect. Now, as I said before, Hamlin started out with the lead. It lasted about three laps, I think, something like that. Tyler Reddick went around him on turn one or going into turn one. Uh, later, after I think they finally switched to the uh, slicks, Christopher Bell would uh, take over the race for the most part, uh, and it was in control a good portion of it. And then, uh, matter of fact, he won the first two stages. Then at about lap 45 or so, NASCAR made the decision they were going to shorten the race from 100 laps to 75 laps because of uh, darkness coming in. They they didn't think they were going to be able to finish it uh, before it got too dark to race because, you know, while there are street lights in Chicago, I mean, that, that, that's obvious, uh, but they're not the same kind of lights and don't give you the same... Um, feel or, or, or view or vision of the course as lights at some of these super speedways do. So uh, they made that, which changed a lot of guys' pitch strategy. I mean, they were already working on what the next fuel stop was going to be or change of tires and stuff like that. So some guys elected to stay out. A lot of the leaders, Hamlin, uh, Van Gisbergen, uh, Elliot, all those guys came in, which kind of led to then Justin Haley taking over the lead of the race in the late stages. And he would command the race for a while until his tire started to go away, but he was in a no-win situation. At that point, he comes into pit, he's going to lose track position, he'd probably never get caught back up. So they tried to run it out and hope they could make it work. But Van Gisbergen would take the lead with five laps to go. Uh, but a, an accident uh, on the last lap, or the last uh, second, caused a two-lap overtime. Uh, I think it was right before the actual white flag came out, so they had to go into overtime. If the white flag had been out, they would have just finished under caution um, at that point. But the um, white flag hadn't flown yet, so right before that, an accident happened. That's when they determined, and so it went into a two-lap overtime. On the restart Gisbergen, uh, van Gisbergen just uh, took off and it it was like everybody else was was racing on 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 slicks and water because he just bolted ahead and just never looked back uh now one of the coolest things of the whole uh race and it, and it was it cool because nobody got hurt and it was but it was more funny than anything else was a fourteen car pileup uh it occurred on the turn going into Michigan avenue and, uh, William Byron had spun, and Corey LeJoe and Kevin Harvick, uh, kind of touched as they were trying to avoid him, well, they ended up spinning, and in turn, blocked the entire road, or, or course, and then all, you see all these cars, just, just, nobody hit hard, no damage, really, to anybody, uh, I think Suarez has got me, maybe caught some fender, fender damage on it, but, um, it was just all these cars just looked like a traffic look like a Monday afternoon traffic jam at five o'clock. <laughs> a lot of the accidents weren't that bad because um, most, like I said, most of them happened in the turns of out or uh, hitting the barriers, you know. And going into those turns, a lot of them were fairly sharp, so they're only doing maybe thirty-five, forty-five miles an hour going into those turns. So uh, all in all, it's pretty decent race. Uh, hopefully, if they do it again, they'll be able to. To run the entire race, I think I would have loved to have seen that play out with another pit stop or two uh, in there. Um, now, uh, as the race for the playoffs goes, uh, they have eleven drivers that are qualified by wins. As the playoff system in, the, in NASCAR now is not the old the old school system of just points. Now, if you have a win, you're automatically in the playoff, sixteen car playoff. So there's eleven drivers that have wins, so that's eleven spots. Then the next spot or the, uh, another spot would go to um, the person with the most points. So if you have, say, 16 drivers with wins, but one of them is not, does not have the most points, the the one with the least amount of points of those winners gets knocked off in favor of the guy with the most points because that's the way it's set up. Uh, so, like, if you have the uh, 11 drivers... Uh, are qualified by wins. Then you uh, have Kevin Harvick, who leads in points with drivers with no wins. So there's 12. That leaves uh, a a pretty slim group that's right in the uh, 388, uh, 360, 50-point range, somewhere in there in in terms of uh, race points. Um, You've got uh, Bubba Wallace and Ty Gibbs uh, are right there at 387 to 378 uh, and then uh, you've got uh, guys like Daniel Suarez, Michael McDowell A.J. Almendigger, Alex Bowman right on their heels and then you got another group a little further down, Justin Haley, Al Austin Sindrick, Corey LaJoy and uh, Chase Elliott they're within range and they're, but they're going to need some good finishes to close the gap so uh, could be exciting, we'll have to see how it uh, goes out or plays out, and, um, you know, I always kind of like NASCAR, you know, but I don't know if I could be a driver or a crew chief, or even a car owner, I mean, man, you talk about stress, that's, you're there on race day, you're, I mean, I can just imagine the stress going through, you know, because I think buying a car itself is stressful, you know, and these guys are buying race cars, okay, uh, but hey, There's one place that's trying to make car car buying stress-free. That's 5th Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri. At 5th Street Motors, they want to make your car buying experience less stressful. They're going to help you find the vehicle that you need, no matter what brand. Because at 5th Street Motors, they believe in giving you the absolute best price on a pre-owned vehicle that's going to fit your budget. So check out what stress-free car buying can be. Give Brandon or Don a call today at 573-259-1306. Now again, that's 573-259-1306. Check him out and tell him Don Glenn from Talking Sports on the Bleachers sent you. All right. It was the USFL Championship on July 1st in Canton, Ohio, uh, the, hall of, the site of the Hall of Fame for NFL. And in the second year in a row, it was won by the Birmingham Stallions. and they defeated the Pittsburgh Maulers 28-12. to Stallions were led by uh, wide receiver Dion Kane, who had four catches for 70 yards and three touchdowns. Also had 102 yards returning punts. Uh, gave him a total of 172 yards, which was enough to get him the MVP honors for the game. Uh, now, could just have easily have gone, to, I think, to Alex McGough, who so was 18 to 25 for 243 yards, four touchdowns, carried the ball nine times for 64 yards himself. Uh, two other Stallion receivers had good numbers: uh, Jay Sternberger, uh, three catches for 65 yards, and Davey, Davion Davis, three catches for 55 yards and a touchdown. The stallion's defense—I sounds like they were rocking and rolling. Uh, uh, they had uh, six sacks and nine tackles for a loss. Uh, Keyshawn Camp led the defense with two sacks. Uh, Lorenzo Burns and Dondre Tillman each had two tackles for a loss. Jojo Tillery would lead the uh, team in tackles. Ten tackles total, six solos, and one sack. And the interesting thing is neither team threw an interception. Nobody intercepted a pass. So uh, the, at least the quarterbacks were throwing decent. Uh, for the Maulers, the offense uh, never really got going. Trey Williams was 24 of 37, but only 143 yards. Uh, they were kind of kept denying him the deep ball. Uh, plus, also running for his life. I don't think he could throw the deep ball. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was also the leading rusher for the Maulers with four carries for 38 yards. Um, on defense, the Maulers did manage to sack McGow twice. Uh, their leading tackler was Ten Tazino with 13 tackles and 9 solos. Pittsburgh got all their scoring, uh, got the scoring started, I should say, with a 37-yard field goal. All their points came off of field goals. Uh, second quarter, Stuygens would get the first touchdown and then a field goal uh, by Pittsburgh. Then the Birmingham followed. It was kind of traded back and forth in that. They had uh, it was a touchdown, field goal, touchdown, field goal. Um, Birmingham, had the, Birmingham had the touchdowns. Pittsburgh had the field goals. Uh, that gave them a 14-9 to halftime lead. Uh, Pittsburgh would get their final field goal in the third quarter. Birmingham, Birmingham would score in the third, and then ice away in the fourth. Uh, as I mentioned, this is the second championship in a row for Birmingham, who are now 21-3 and three since the USFL was restarted last year. Uh, Birmingham had the league's best record at 8-2. and two. They led the league in scoring at 28.7 points per game, and they only gave up 19.6. Uh, but now, by contrast, the Maulers were only four and six, as was their entire division. The entire division with the Maulers were in, and I, I don't have all four. The other four, the other three teams, but all four teams in that—I think it's the Eastern Division uh, or Northern Division—I think it is. Anyway, all four of those teams had the identical four and six record. Nobody had a winning record in that upper division. Um, as a matter of fact, there's only two winning records I think in the entire league, and that was Birmingham. And um, I think it was New Orleans is the other team that had a, a record or a winning record. But uh, Mahlers were only four and seven. They were seventh in the league in scoring with seventeen point seven points a game. But they boasted the league's best defense, only allowing seventeen point eight points per game. You know, Arlington Lane was telling me that uh, with the way everything's going out now in football, you got the NFL, you got the XFL, you got the USFL. You've got football pretty much twenty four seven. 12 months out of the year because, you know, yes, their game's over. But now you've got the camps are starting up for the NFL. And uh, pretty soon, I think it's late, mid or late August. Uh, or No, wait, it's August uh, 3rd, I think, is the uh, Hall of F- Yeah, August August 3rd is the NFL Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio. I think it's the Bengals and somebody. and I can't remember. The Jets. Bengals and the Jets, I think, are playing in that uh, Canton, Ohio game. So you got that starting in August, you know, and now you're right in the NFL season, and of course that goes until j- late January, or February. Then XFL kicks in in March, and it's over by April, and uh, then April the USFL starts, and they're over in July, and then you're back to the NFL. So it's it's it's, it's going to be a twenty four seven football thing, um, and you know some of these GMs have got to be looking uh, NFL GMs. I'm talking about they got to be looking at the XFL, the USFL players. They got to be trying to figure out if there's somebody they can maybe pick up uh, to augment their team or give themselves a little bit of a uh, an insurance policy, if we if you will, you know, trying to protect the assets they've got. Because we all know how important it is to stay protected. I mean, just like in a in a, in the NFL, a quarterback stays in the pocket to stay protected, or hopefully stays protected, unless he sacks six times. Uh, but you need to protect the things in your life. Well, that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and much more. They offer a customized approach that's unique to your situation to make sure you and your assets and your family are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings. So give Sean and his team a call today at 636-764-6294. They'll help you with an insurance quote right over the phone, because that's just how they roll, people. Again, that's 636-764-6294. Now you can give them a call if you just want to talk sports, because I heard they do that too. With work, and kids, and social functions, we all have busy lives. I mean, we're going constantly, nonstop. So you can email Sean, Sean Wiley at allstate.com, talk to him about your coverage options. That's S-C-A-N-W-I-L-E-Y at allstate.com. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Well, next week is the All-Star Game, and the rosters are out, barring any late injuries or defections, as that happens every now and again. The AL lineup uh, was voted in, and the Rangers have four players in the starting lineup. Uh, John Hem- Heim, I think it is, good, is the catcher, March, Marcus Simeon, second base, Josh Jung at third base, and Corey Seager at shortstop. Uh, the Rays have two players, and Yandy Diaz at first base, Randy Arozarena in the outfield. The Angels have two players on the roster with Mike Trout and Shohei Ohtani. Uh, Trout in the outfield, Ohtani at DH. Um, and uh, the Yankees have Aaron Judge in the lineups. Now, both Judge and Trout are injured, so they're not going to be making the start. Um, I'm not sure who's starting in their place. That'll be up to the, the manager. Also for the American League, Jordan Alvarez is out. So replacing these guys uh, are shortstop Wander Franco from the Rays, outfielder Julio Rodriguez from the Mariners, and outfielder Kyle Tucker of the Astros. Now, as far as the reserves, three players from the Blue Jays are on the reserve roster, Vlad Guerrero, Whit Merrifield, and Bo Bichette. The Orioles have multiple All-Stars for the first time since 2016 with catcher Ashley uh, Rutschman, outfielder Austin Hayes, pitchers Felix Bautista and Yanner Cano, uh, Adoles Garcia of the Rangers, Luis Robert Jr. of the White Sox, Jose Ramirez of the Guardians, and Salvador Perez of the Royals round out the position players. Uh, As for the pitchers, you've got Garrett Cole from the Yankees. Uh, Luis Castillo from Seattle, Sonny Gray from the Twins, uh, Nathaniel Baldi from the Rangers, uh, so they've got a total of four guys in there, uh, Kevin Gausman from Toronto, so there's another Toronto player, Fromber Va- Fom- Valdez of the Astros, Michael Lorenzen from Detroit, Kenley Jansen from Boston, Emmanuel Kloss from the Guardians, and of course the two pitchers from Baltimore that I already mentioned. Now, due to injury... Um. Uh, no, oh, please. Pardon me. I read that wrong. Uh, Shane McClanahan is out. He's on the roster, but due to injury, he's not going to be participating, and his spot will be taken by George Kirby of the Mariners. Uh, so, in the American League, the. Um, The Red Sox, White Sox, Twins, and Tigers only have one representative. Everybody else has multiples. In the National League, there are three Dodgers uh, on the starting roster. First baseman Freddie Freeman, outfielder Mookie Betts, and DH J.D. Martinez. There are also three Braves on the roster. Catcher Sean Murphy, shortstop Orlando Arcia, and outfielder Ronald Cunha Jr. Uh, Nolan Aranato from the St. Louis will play third, and Corbin Carroll, will be in the outfield representing the Diamondbacks. National League Reserves has three more Braves on it with Matt Olson, uh, first base, second base, Ozzy Albies, third base, Austin Riley. Uh, the rest of the reserves are catcher Will Smith from the Dodgers, first base Pete Alonso of the Mets, how it's Alonso and not Goldschmidt, I got no clue, uh, shortstop Dansby Swanson of the Cubs, outfielder Lourdes Gurriel of the Diamondbacks, Nick Castellanos of the Phillies, Juan Soto of the Padres, and Jorge Soler from Miami. The pitching staff uh, breaks down that the National League includes two Cubs, Justin Steele and Marcus Stroman, though I just heard that Stroman is not going to participate. I do not know who the replacement is for Stroman as of yet. Uh, Two Braves with uh, Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder. Um, Now, due to Clayton Kershaw being injured, the Pirates have two pitchers uh, because Kershaw was on, was, Selected so, but uh, they've got the Pirates uh, have two pitchers of Mitch Keller and now David Bednar, uh, Zach Galen of the Diamondbacks, Josiah Gray of the Nationals, uh, Alex Diaz of the Reds, Josh Hader of the Padres, and Camilo Duval of the Giants round out that pitching staff. Now for the National League, the Phillies, Mets, Giants, Cardinals, Rockies, and Reds only have one representative. Uh, American League holds the all-time advantage in all-star play with a 47-43-2 record. They have won the last nine straight. Uh, the all-star game is going to be in an American League city. This is not boding well for the National League is what I'm trying to tell you folks, okay? Um, who knows who's going to win this one? You know, I kind of... The all-star game to me has kind of lost itself. Now, I'm... A, now. I know, I'm an old fart, so I remember things differently than a lot of you people do. But back in the day, and I'm talking way back in the day, the All-Star game was fun to watch because they would, did not take it serious. They were having fun, well, except for Pete Rose uh, bowling over a catcher. But, uh, you know, you had guys uh, like John Kruk, um, and I, 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 I remember the, uh, Randy Johnson, I think it was, he was pitching for Seattle. Anyway, he threw behind Kruk, you know, because there was, there was there had been something about throwing at batters and whatnot. So Randy Johnson, you know, just for the fun of it, threw a ball behind Kruk. Nobody on base. Nobody gave a damn. And Kruk sat there and laughed about it. He turned around in the batter's box and had his back facing the plate. <laughs> to hit. He said, if you're going to throw at here I'll bat this way. I mean, you had things like that. It was a lot of fun. And now it's, I don't know, it's just turned into a popularity contest of overpaid crybabies, if you ask me. Um, you know, and, and I've always thought they could do something more than just a home run derby. As far as, uh, you know, because a home run derby is fine. It's fun to watch. I, I, I admit, I do like watching a home run derby when I can. It is fun to watch. Uh, but, you know, I'd like to see them have maybe... A fielding skills competition, um, or you know something of that nature, something to kind of just liven it up. I mean, because I know I think in the NHL they do have a uh, a couple of different skills competitions. Uh, I know in the NBA, NBA you've got the uh, slam dunk contest, you got the three point shooting contest. You know, so I don't know baseball if they want to if they want to invigorate the brand. I mean. Yeah, the home run derby is fine, but it's boring. It's boring. Even I don't care how you change it up, how you make it uh, competitive, uh, matching this guy against that guy, and, and I don't care how you do that. It's not. It's boring. It is a boring thing to watch. Um, you know, I I, I I think a better batting competition would be to have lanes out on the field and have batters hit into those lanes I right, that would be fun to watch guys actually using their bat for what they're supposed to have a bunt competition you know i, I there's just a lot of because i know i know in uh, japanese baseball and you know they have that they have a little target set up and they have a bunt competition you know who can uh, keep it the furthest away from the mound or whatever it's to me, the All-Star Weekend is a waste of time. All-Star Game and the All-Star Week or three days or whatever is a waste of time to me. Um, I'll probably try and tune in if I can. If I can't, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'll just put it that way. So how has summer been treating you folks? I mean, it's been hot. Yeah, it's it's, it's summer. It's supposed to be hot. You know, 90-degree days, high humidity, stuff like that. You know, we had some storms roll through and knocked a bunch of stuff down in our yard, took out some patio furniture. You know, I spent three days out there cleaning up. Um, You know, I made sure I stayed hydrated, though, because hydration is important. And let me tell you about hydration multiplication. It's called liquid IV. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. It also has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. It's conveniently packaged. You can take it anywhere. If you're off to the gym or playing a ball game, throw some in your sports bag. Go into the beach, put it in your beach bag. Even take it to work for a quick pick-me-up instead of coffee. Put some in your lunchbox, your briefcase. Liquid IV comes in 12 delicious and refreshing flavors, including strawberry lemonade, tropical punch, and pina colada. You get the benefits of vitamins B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. It's gluten-free, it's non-GMO, it contains no soy, no dairy, and Liquid IV also believes that access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. So Liquid IV partners with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect their future by protecting their water. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the promo code GCS at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GCS at liquidiv.com. Hey, are you ready to shop Better Hydration? You can also use my special link, zen.ai slash Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Save 20% on anything you order. See what hydration multiplication can do for you. Try Liquid IV. Okay, well, for the last couple weeks I've been saying that Ali Marmo and John Mazelot should be feeling a little bit of heat. And I really do think they are. On on not this past Sunday, Mo did admit that just maybe they didn't do enough in the offseason to get the job done. Now, quoting Mo now, he said, I do think that some of the decisions we made, some of the guys we were trying to give opportunities to, it just hasn't worked. It's very fair to say we should have done more or could have done more and hopefully you learn from that. Mo, you've had two years to learn that. Okay? You could have done more in twenty twenty one when you had uh you were trying to make KK a starter, when you had uh Miles Michaelis on the on the IL at the start of the season, and you were depending on a Carlos Martinez, who had off-season shoulder surgery. I mean, you know, and then in 2022, Flaherty's coming off injury. Hudson's coming off of injury. You know, give me a break, Mo. You haven't learned yet, so what makes you think you're going to learn now? And what came to Adam Wainwright's recent uh, stint to the I.L., he said, I think we have to see some adjustments on his end being made. Otherwise, maybe we will have to make some changes on how we go through things. <clears throat> Just what the hell does that mean? Just what does that mean? I don't understand it. I mean, is he trying to say that it's Adam's fault? Well, and 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 he's somewhat right. I mean, everybody, you know, I'm not trying to diss Adam. Don't get, I love Adam Wainwright. Love me some Waino. Okay? But... The way he's pitching, if he has, in fact, been injured and dealing with a, a problem. Why didn't they address it two, three game, or weeks ago when it showed up? Why are we just addressing it now? And why is it Adam's fault we're addressing it now? Did he withhold that he was he wasn't feeling well? I don't think so the way he was talking but you just don't know. So I I don't know what he means by that. Well, here's what though I there's what I hear out of what he just said. A. We overvalued the ability of our pitching staff. You know, when he makes the comment of uh, the decisions we made and the tries we were trying to give opportunities to. He overvalued the staff. Overvalued what he had. Just like he did in 21, just like he did in 22. And then B, way too slow to recognize the issues. That, in dealing with Adam Wainwright. Way too slow to recognize that Wainwright's got an issue. Let's fix it. Matt's the same way. They, didn't, they, they, they waited way too long you know, to, to do something. They waited 10 games before they tried to do something about Matt's. Um, you know, they've waited now, what, a half a season before they're trying to figure out what's wrong with Wainwright. Lack of urgency. And I've said on many occasions, Mo is an arrogant SOB. And he thinks the fans don't have a clue and can be fed any amount of chum and slop, and they're going to enjoy it. He's managed to get away with this mismanagement of the team construction in the last couple years because back in 2021, <clears throat> Mike Schilt, love him or hate him, and I personally like the guy, I've never met him, but I mean, I personally like the way he managed. I liked the way he handled the team. I, I don't think he should have been fired, but he took that 21 team and got them, got them going. Now we didn't make it far in the playoffs, and maybe that's on him, maybe it isn't. I mean that can be debated another day, and we're not going to get into it here. But the fact remains: they were playing very good baseball, fundamental baseball under Shilp, and it showed. Last year, you had a you know you had uh, Arenado and Goldschmidt both having great years, and a big second half surge by Pujols. I mean that just the emotion on that team that that carried a lot of guys through. Um, you know you didn't have a, a huge amount of uh, of big injuries. You know, even though the pitching staff wasn't ready, and, you, and the addition of Quintana and Montgomery. You know there was there was. Some makeup there that that happened, and I'm not saying Mo doesn't, hasn't hasn't tried to fix the situation in the last two years, but he shouldn't have had to fix the situation. Is what I'm saying. He can't get away with it this year. You're seeing it. He's got a manager that cannot manage without. A Yadier Molina behind the plate, or an Albert Pujols walking him and say, "Hey, um, Ollie, um, why don't you let him hit against a right-hander?" Or you know, bouncing an idea off a guy like that, uh, or you having having a Mike Maddox in you know on your bench, a Skip Schumacher on your bench. You know, Schumacher leaves, goes. And I don't blame him. I mean, you know, you're you're going from bench coach to manager. I'm taking that deal any day of the week. Mike Maddox says he's gonna retire. Not leaving baseball, he's just gonna take a step backwards. And in less than a month he signs to be the pitching coach of the Rangers. And, you know, at first I didn't think that was all that odd uh, because he does live in Texas. He lives, I think, it's like a half an hour from the ballpark. So I didn't think it was all that odd. But then you add Jeff Albert, who was about to get, as was Maddox, was about to get an extension, and he leaves because he doesn't like being the uh, focal point of the team's hitting issue. And so then you go out and you get Turner Ward, who's yeah okay. He's been around for a while, so he's got some experience. Um, you would lost Brian Eversgard as a bullpen coach, and and I think in some respects, I think that may be have as much to do with the pitching as the change from Mike Maddox to Dusty Blake. And I get to Blake in a minute. Because he sees those relievers, he knows he can get the feel. He can call in and say, "Hey, no, 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 you don't want him. Let's go a different way. Let me get somebody else up." You know, um, I think Evers-Gerd, um is it, it was was kind of a, a, a oh an unheralded quasi second half or uh, assistant pitching coach, if you will. Uh, you know, so I think had that. Uh, and you know, so now you've got Julio Rangel out in the in the bullpen, um, who's been around. He's been a pitching coach before, so he you know, shouldn't be any big deal. But you go and you put Dusty Blake, a guy with no MLB pitching coach experience or even pitching experience. He's never thrown an inning in the major leagues. He was a pitching coach at Duke University. Oh, wahoo! And you're gonna make him the pitching coach to handle guys like Steven Mats, Miles Michaelis, that, and Wainwright. Now I got no doubt he can deal with some of the younger kids. Being a pitching coach in college, he can deal with the younger guys like your Hickses and and uh, Thompsons and guys like that. But the guys like Verhagen, uh, Stratton, and the, the guys, I, the other guys I mentioned, you know, what's he gonna tell them that they don't already know? Now, he was supposedly the, the pitching strategist for the Cardinals the last few years. Just what the hell is that? I, I, I'm i sorry. Um, here's what I think is going to happen. And I, I've said people, you know, uh, well, hang on. Let me, let me, one more. I got one more to throw in there. Then you got Matt Holiday. You got Matt Holliday. Signs on to be the bench coach. And you know, got all the Cardinal Nation just turning handsprings and doing Ozzy Smith flips. Thirty days later, he says, Well, you know, let me think about this. I I I, I want to spend more time with my family. Well now wouldn't have been that wouldn't that have been a concern before you signed the contract? So what changed? What changed? Why did Maddox leave? Why did Albert leave? What's the real reason for leaving? Why did Holiday say yes and then no? I can only. It's speculation, it's circumstantial, and it wouldn't hold up in a court of law. But I blame Ollie Marmol. I think Ollie Marmol did not want to be shown up by better coaches like Mike Maddox, like what Matt Holiday. Matt Holiday has forgotten more about baseball than Ollie Marmol will ever know. He has, bank it. So. Is Marmol the problem, or is Moselock the problem? Because if I'm looking at it from Bill Dewitt's point of view, I'm looking at it saying, "Okay, Mo, you assembled this team. This is on you." Now Mo comes back. Well, about the, the the manager's not doing, you know, um, he's he he he's, he's not he doesn't have the. Thing. Okay, well, Mo, who hired the manager? You did. So, guess what? It's on you again. So, if I'm Bill Dewitt and I'm looking at this, and I see the 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 way the roster was constructed, and then I see my manager calling players out in the uh, publicly, and then trying to blame. The pitching on a catcher, which I will say, in all fairness, Contreras does shoulder a little of that blame. Not all of it, because if you look, yes, some of the pitchers did did perform better with Kisner behind the plate. But the difference wasn't that huge. I mean, we're talking maybe... Half a point on the ERA, you know, point five on the ERA. I think mean, there was one. I can't remember who it was. Now I think it was Montgomery pitched like uh, has a much better ERA with with Kisner than with uh, uh, Contreras. But you know that that that's going to happen from here from time to time. I mean, look how many years uh, you know, Steve Carlton had uh, Tim Tim McCarver as a catcher. You know, because he couldn't really pitch. He didn't really like pitching to anybody else. You know, so that's going to happen. But by and large, the pitching staff was not that different between Contreras and Kisner. Yet, Ollie and Moe tried to make it on Contreras that he needed to learn how things worked internally. Okay, what does that mean, Moe? And to me, that's, that was the philosophical differences line, you know, that he used with Schilt. Um, so it's just, you know, you guys can disagree with me about all this and that's fine. You know, I don't expect everybody to agree with me. Everybody say, Hey, you're right. You know, because I don't know any more than you guys do really. Um, you know, I, I try to read up on every report that comes out. Some, I just look at it and laugh. Some of I look at it and go, well, you know, but if you are looking very objectively, if you're looking as if you're looking at this team not as a cardinal fan, but as a baseball fan, you can see this team has a lot of positives. Arenado, Gorman, Goldschmidt, uh, Montgomery, even Michaelis is a good bright spot. Edmund, Walker, you know this team's got a lot of positives to it. But you're also looking at it as okay, they're not playing like because if you remember Cardinal teams from back in the '70s, when they had this their last long losing skid, um, or playoff drought, if you will, or whatever. You know, there was a period of the entire you know, from '72 on till '70 70, well '71 to '82 where the Cardinals couldn't smell couldn't smell a division title if they if somebody Walked up and handed it to them. Now, sometimes they got beat by better teams. I mean, sometimes they were they won 85, 90 games and still got beat. But then every year they didn't. But the one thing they did was they still played fundamental baseball. They showed up. They played. Sometimes it didn't work out. This team's not doing that. They're showing up. They're playing like they're on a sandlot. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Jordan Walker too. I think Walker is going to be a stud. Let let me just say this again. Walker is going to be a five-tool stud. He's not there yet. We know that. And... You know he played a lot in right field in the minors when he was playing when they, when they converted him from third base. So they bring him to the big leagues and they put him in the left. Now a lot of people say, "Oh, what's the difference?" In left? There actually is a is a difference. The way the ball comes off the bat, the way you see it, the way you angle, a lot of it's different. Now he's had a lot of time in the left right now to to get to learn and get better, uh, and he will. Don't get me wrong, he will. Um, but right now he's not that good in the outfield, so you got to find a different way to deal with him. Um, and I know because Tyler O'Neill's hurt, you know he's he's not there to put in left field, so you can't hide Walker as the DH and then just work on the fielding, you know, in the off time. Um, but they're going to have to come up with something. Um, he's going to get better. Don't get me wrong. But the whole team, though, is just not playing with the same type of fundamental commitment that you've seen out of the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, we had this going on once before under Mike Matheny. Going in, before La Russa left, Cardinal baseball was fundamental baseball. Matheny took over. Fundamentals went out the window. You didn't see any bunting. You didn't see any base run. You know any aggressive base running. Menthini gets fired. They bring in Schilt. You start seeing a turnaround. The guys are stealing bases. The guys are taking extra bases. The guys are bunting. You're, you're you're seeing fundamental baseball. You're seeing it in the field. I mean, look at the look at the Gold Gloves they won under Schilt. Now you got Marmol. Um, And the fundamentals are gone. The fundamentals are gone. And again, that's because he's, he's managing from a spreadsheet and not what he needs to be managing from, what the skill set of the players are. Well, if any changes are made, here's what I think is going to happen. I think they're going to... Mo and Ollie are going to have their sacrificial lamb and they're going to lay the pitching blame on dusty Blake, uh, Blake will get fired. They'll probably promote wrangle from the bullpen to, um, um, pitching coach. And then they'll call it all good and make a few other player moves and say, we'll deal with this in the off season. Um, I do look for a few guys to be traded at the deadline. Um, but I think as far as what's going to happen with the staff and how that's going to get changed, it's not going to happen until um, John Mosellock's gone. I mean, let's face the fact. Well, you know, As long as Mosellock is in place, we're going to have this continuous... Um, lack of attention and lack of urgency in the way they deal with it, in the way they deal in the off season, the way they deal with issues coming up in the regular season. This is what we are probably going to have to come to expect unless Bill DeWitt steps in and tells Mo, enough is enough. Get ahead of this thing. We'll see. Like I said, am I 100% right? No. I'm not even sure I'm 50 percent right. You can agree with me or you don't. I don't. You know that that's up to you. And I'm not going to fault you if you don't agree with me. That's fine. You know, um, it's just my opinion as a fan. You've got your opinion, and you want to know something? I want to hear that opinion. I really do. So I'll tell you what. Hit me up on Twitter at tsotbgcs, or you can email the show at t-s-o-t-b at gmail Or you can go to Gateway City Sports and leave me a message there. But let me know what you think. I really want to know. And speaking of Gateway City Sports, you say you need to find a place with news and opinions on sports in and around the St. Louis area, then I've got a spot for you. Head over to GatewayCitySports.com. At Gateway City Sports you're gonna find news and articles about the Cardinals, the Blues, the Missouri Tigers, Fighting Illini, and even some high school action. Soccer too! You'll find articles and content from guys like Russ Uncle Frank Robinson, Brian Papa Swope, Gene Bonds, Derek King, and even I put out an article or two. You want more podcasts? Well, where you're in luck, if you're a Cub fan, if you have a Cub fan, excuse me, uh, in the family, or you got a neighbor to Cub fan, invite them over, have a couple brews. And listen to the team of rivals with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and Elliot Dewey. If you prefer mostly Cardinal talk with some interesting guests thrown in, then give a listen to That's a Winner with Ryan Jenkins and Josh Brown. Now, you say that's not enough Cardinal content for you? Well, there's more. Check out the two-for-three with the mighty moose, Mike Stevenson. Coming back by popular demand is the Derek King Sports Show with the man himself, Derek King. So head on over to gatewaycitysports.com, look us up, as always, if there's a sport you follow and we don't cover it, let us know. We'll see what we can do for you. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for me today. And uh, remember to tell your friends about the show. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can find it on ZenCaster.com. You can also go to GatewayCitySports.com and find it there. So next, until next time, I want you guys to have some fun. I want you to stay safe, and we'll see you again when we can talk sports on the bleachers. Good night, everybody. Thanks again for joining us, and you have been listening to Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Here's hoping you have a great sports day.